everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy along with my co-host for the podcast, my partner in life, and my wife, Rachel Campos <laughs> Duffy. Oh, today at the kitchen table, we're oh. inviting an old friend. Um, people, I, Some people don't know how good of friends we are with Raymond Arroyo, <laughs> but we've known each other for many, many, many years. Our families have actually vacationed together. Um, everyone knows him at Fox and loves him, um, but he's also an, an acclaimed, well-known journalist. Uh, he has a show, a long-running show, um, The World Over Live on EWTN. And, of course, he appears so often on The Laura Ingram Show and all over the network. And we love having him at the Pop Culture Roundup on Fox & Friends especially. Um, and it's Raymond Arroyo, cultural critic, um, I don't know, entertainer extraordinaire. How else do you like to be re- <laughs> no, referred no. to? Disruptor. Cultural disruptor. Cultural disruptor. I love it. The, but I'm so glad. I love it. So I, I'm at the dining room table. You're at the kitchen table. So it's kind of a... We're, we're all broadcasting yeah. from home, so this is fun. We're, yeah, I like that. We are all broadcasting from home. And so we're going to have you on to talk about a lot of things, including yeah. your new book, because I love this series that you have for kids. And I've always loved that you've always made room in your very busy schedule to write for kids because there's right. such a gap. There's such a vacuum of great stuff for kids. Um, you have best-selling books um, for young readers, for um, uh, for you know, any child, uh, and, and right now you're on a series about kids, about, uh, um, uh, you, you just did one on Edison, Thomas Edison. Yeah. You're t- now you're doing one on Tad Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's 12-year-old son. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, but before we get to that, let's just talk pop culture a little okay. bit here. Um, and also politics, yes. because um, the Pope uh, is somebody, you know, you cover this a lot on, on EWTN, and you're one of the brave yeah. voices who's called out a lot of things that so many of us Catholics have felt about the Pope. And um, this past week, uh, Pope Francis was the, I, I literally thought this was a lie when I read it, but I mean, it turned out to be true that he was the- thought it was the Babylon Bee. But I did. I thought it was the Babylon Bee, but it, it wasn't. It like the Babylon Bee, actually. <laughs> it did. It, Pope Francis opened the whole conference for the Clinton Global Initiative. They're now- you know, got their fingers in the whole Ukraine pot. They have four pillars, Raymond, abortion, I think population control. I mean, everything that supposedly Catholics are are not for. And now the Pope's the opening speaker. What do you make of this? How did this happen? How do these things come to be? Well, it's a look, it's perplexing and it, it does boggle the mind. Months before this joint appearance, uh, Bill Clinton visited the Pope at the Vatican. Now, the question is, why can't Cardinal Raymond Burke or Cardinal Zen, the, you know, freedom fighter in a very holy bishop in Hong Kong, why can't these men get audiences with the Pope? But Leo yeah. DiCaprio and Bill Clinton seem to have no problem getting in. That's my first and most important question. OK. And again, I don't I'm not a critic of the Pope. I ask questions, Rachel, uncomfortable questions, but they're questions that need to be asked. And you look at this and you go, how can the Pope? open a conference that is so at war with the very values Mm. that the Catholic Church espouses and that this Pope has articulated. So it it is confusing watching this, and I guess most disheartening for me anyway, watching it, I I thought, when you have to wait for Bill Clinton to cite the scriptures, you know you're in trouble. And he was the only one who mentioned, I think it was Isaiah, uh, you know, and he congratulated the Pope, and he said, (laughs) great gift is that he makes 
everyone else feel empowered. Well, th- th- that's not the role of the Pope. <laughs> you know, the Pope's role is to protect the doctrine of faith, to protect the teachings of Jesus, and to make sure that those remain pure going through time. That's his job. That's it. It's a very limited job description. He doesn't have to do anything but that. So it, it, uh, questions do arise when you see this kind of uh, affiliation and the Pope on the big screen and Bill Clinton, of all people, sitting there, you know, with the ghost of Monica Lewinsky floating over his head. It's a question. It is. And so, Raymond, you said that the, the Clinton Foundation, which I agree with, the, their values are at war with the Catholic Church. But here, the Pope goes and speaks, opens the conference for the Clinton Global Initiative. And so it begs the question, really, is the Clinton Foundation's values at war with the Catholic Church, or are they the values under this Pope of the Catholic Church? Well, look. Because I'm confused. As a Catholic, it's, it becomes very confusing. I know. Well, Again, we know what we believe as, as, as good Catholics, but it becomes very confusing for the laity when you have a Pope that's doing all of these things that we would agree are contrary to the teachings. Well, and, and, and non-Catholics look at this and go, what is happening over there? Well, What's yeah, happening? I know. But, Possible look, to explain to our evangelical brothers well, and sisters. But, but, I'll, I'll make this plain for everybody who's watching. Look, the Pope's role, St. Peter, is who he sits in the chair, okay? St. Peter yeah. was the vicar of Christ. That means when when Jesus rose again, he left Peter in charge, okay, of the building, of the church. Not the building, the church itself. That's his one role. That's all he has to do. He's not Jesus. The Pope doesn't get to change teaching or remake the teaching or reimagine it. There are no new set of values shown. It's the same values. Now, this Pope may want to emphasize something different than other Popes, but he's incapable of changing what is the doctrine of faith because Jesus established that. And if it's changeable, well, then the jig is up. Then we're no longer talking about the Catholic faith. You know, it's interesting because he's not the first, you know, prominent Catholic figure to speak before the Clintons. Remember, Mother Teresa was invited to some, you know, Clint, you know, event where Clinton. No, wait, 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 wait. I, no, no, I was there. That was that was a that was a prayer breakfast. In that was 19, a prayer breakfast. Ninety six or seven. That wasn't a Clinton. Clinton was no, 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 but Tom, but Clinton you, was president, you, you, and they I, invited. I, 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 no, no, it wasn't the Clinton Foundation. Thank you for correcting that. That's yeah. absolutely true. However, Don't every... Don't Rachel sully Mother Teresa. I know. I Thank can't protect Mama. No, no, no. I knew No, no, no. I'm selling her. I actually, if you listen to my story okay. and you were there, you know, yeah. she literally oh. lectured the Clintons through her speech at this prayer okay. breakfast. She openly talked about abortion, how wrong it was. Um, you know, why don't you talk a little bit about what you saw there? Because it was an amazing moment because the Clintons were inviting her there, trying, I think, to sort of have some of her saintliness rub off on them and maybe it maybe cover up some of their sins, if you will. And yet this very humble little woman went to this prayer breakfast and she was fearless. She 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 was, you know, in the world, but definitely not of the world. And then she sort of lectured the world. Yeah, well, look, she was a beloved figure even during her lifetime. Now, of course, St. Mother Teresa. But I remember mm-hmm. that day because I was part of the pool of reporters that went to the Washington Hilton. You've both been there many times. We've been there together. Um, you know, that big grand ballroom downstairs. But Mother Teresa was so short and the podium was so high that I they didn't have room for me to sit among the invited guests. So I had to sit in the wings. So I was off to the side of Mother Teresa. I could see her from the side. 
I was the only person along with an AP reporter we, who was seated in folding chairs in the wing who actually got to see her because everybody else, all they got was the podium of Mother Teresa like this. Is she like Yeah. <laughs> he was so short. All you saw at the top planning of the on the part. Poor planning on the part Horrible. of the prayer breakfast. And then they, had, oh, they had those old um, um, uh, microphones that looked like Nerf footballs, three Nerf footballs tied together. Yeah. So the poor thing was totally obscured. But what she said to them was that abortion was, and I'm paraphrasing, but you, you can look it up. It's an amazing speech. But it was really yes. a prophetic cry. It wasn't a lecture. It wasn't politics. She was just saying, look, if if you are willing to allow and permit and encourage uh, the death of innocence, okay, the death of an unborn child, then you are willing to permit the death of anyone you find uncomfortable. And that will bring a hardship upon the nation mm. that embraces this ideal. That's what she said. And you could see the squirming in the seats behind oh, yeah. her. You were all seated right behind her. Uh, it made, it made, there was a lot of, there were a lot of uncomfortable polls that day. But um, it, it was, it was something to watch this very diminutive, tiny person rattle all of Washington, D.C. before 9 a.m. Pretty incredible. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure the Clintons had no fear of being, you know, uncomfortable or squirming when they invited Pope Francis. It's it's really yeah, disappointing. Sure. We'll have more of this conversation after this. OK, so let's move on to something else. Okay. Um, this uh, past week, uh, Sir Michael Gamden, um, he played Dumbledore. Yeah, I believe he was Gandalf also, right? No. No, that was. He was uh, not Gandalf, and who was that? No, no, that's uh, that's um, oh, the other great actor. Uh, oh, that, yes, I know who you're talking. It's I, not I'm him. Totally okay, fine. losing his name. Um, I should know this, and I can't remember. It's okay. It's okay. Okay, he's Dumbledore, and yes. uh, and and everyone knows him from Harry Potter, and Harry Potter, of course, is was is a cultural phenomenon. Um, you know, there's still you know, lots of attention around the series. Yeah. I want you to talk about, because you're a writer, um, I want you to talk about the cultural significance of mm -hmm. Harry Potter, and then maybe also a little bit about, as a Christian dad, how you feel yeah. about that series, because well, there's a lot of controversy around it and Christianity. This is the 25th anniversary of Harry Potter, by the way. The book, you know, this week, I think, is the That 25th. long, wow. So, um, I, you know, I am, look, I remember the fervor surrounding the series when it first came out. People were concerned that it would lure kids into witchcraft and, you know, and that there were there were things she was dealing with that were, you know, uh, true to form and, you know, reflected Wiccan beliefs and things. Um, I'll say this two two things. One, uh, my really my godmother in middle grade children's publishing um, and uh, the woman who bought J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter are the same person. So I, I will first admit that. Uh, I'm I'm rather partial to her and her taste. And look, she identified uh, an unknown author who had written this rather sprawling piece about a kid going to a wizard school um, that nobody would buy. She bought it, um, brought it to the world through Scholastic. It became a, a, a literary juggernaut and it got kids to read. Suddenly yeah. children were hungry. I mean, you know, we, we were talking earlier offline about Taylor Swift. This was the literary Taylor Swift. I mean, it, it, millions of children wanted to read where Harry Potter went next, what was going on. And when you step back from the series, you have to say it is about the battle of good and evil. That is what is at play there. It's a kind of archetypal battle that I think she was tapping into. Yes, the world is witchcraft and wizardry, and that has to be considered by parents. But I think in the macro, 
Harry is obviously a force for good, the chosen one who comes to do battle with this great evil force and dislocates it. So in the macro, it's it's probably okay, but you leave that to parents. I always leave it to parents, and I think uh, woe to those who try to disenfranchise parents and tell them, no, we know better than you do what your child should read, watch, or or listen to. I'm sorry, that's a parental role. So I'm not going to sit here and lecture anybody on that. But that's the background that I think is... Um, you, 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 know, you make up. a really good point, Raymond, because I, I look at my kids, my own kids, who, um, you know, were not really into reading, right? They're, they're, <laughs> but they, they loved Harry Potter. And, no. you know, if you get one book, one series that you love, you can find a lifelong love of sitting down with a book as it tells you a story or brings you through this yeah. journey or brings you through this history. And so... I do think that part of it for young readers is really important. And again, as you have a culture that doesn't really support that, this did. And it was easier yeah. to get your own children to engage well, and read. Get off the screens. Get, get off, off the screens. Yeah. And that conversation, you know, guys, the reason I write books for young audiences, I really I call these these picture books family reads, because that's what I'm really interested in. If the book is less important than the conversation between the parent, the grandparent and the child or the or the teacher and the child, that conversation brings new light and understanding and deepens the whole literary experience. I think it's why these stories exist to deepen and, our own understanding of the world. And children need help. Young people need help yeah. being guided down that path. So Raymond, we're going to get to your books in just one second. Yeah. But last week we had a fascinating conversation. You mentioned before this, we talked about Taylor Swift. Let's actually uh -oh. talk about it on the podcast, okay? Because uh, we had Mark Hemingway uh, come uh -oh. on and uh, married to Molly Hemingway. We see her a lot on Fox. Uh, he was he wrote for MTV.com. He's a musician uh, and he's a music critic. So he wrote this very long piece at The Federalist. Uh, it was called Taylor Swift's Popularity is a Sign of Societal Decline. The Swifties, Raymond, lost their minds because someone was speaking uh, negatively about their, yes. their hero, Taylor. Uh, but what he really said was, you know, hey, listen, the creativity in the lyrics, it's they're, 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 she's all focused on herself. It's all about me, 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 my dating. And also the, the, the music itself is just repetitive. It's like every song sounds the same. Uh, where he would look back to the 70s and 80s, maybe not perfection, but there was a lot of different music and a lot of different ranges. And I'm not a musician, so and you are. Yeah. But he said that just, just the, 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 the differences in the music and the artists they would come out with yeah. um, different music was, was real compared to this, the same repetitive stuff you get from Taylor Swift. So as a music man yourself, do you agree with that? Do you want the hate of the Swifties? Do you want to speak the truth? to the power of Taylor Swift. Take it on, Raymond. I I'm going to let you all speak to the power of Taylor Swift. Oh, see, what a coward. This is what I'm talking about. He wants no, no, to play, no. Wait a minute. He wants to play Switzerland on the Taylor Swift thing. I'm not going to play Switzerland. This is a man me, with exquisite musical taste. Okay, okay. I'll okay, give you okay. my, musical, my musical impression of her and my sense as, you know, somebody who's now a vocalist and has done this for years and was trained as an actor. When I okay. look at Taylor Swift, it's not my cup of tea, okay? It's not. But if you listen to my playlist, all, all the Swifties would probably hate it, too. I'm listening to Ella Fitzgerald and Sinatra and Nat King Cole and Judy Garland. I mean, to me, if you want to hear a woman in full angst, if you want to hear a woman mourning the loss of love, go pull a Judy Garland CD. I mean, uh, this true. is like the height of American expression. You've got beautiful lyrics. You know, Harold Arlen and, and, and Johnny Mercer and Irving Berlin. You're not going to top that. 
So that's my sense. So, you know, Mark Hemingway's talking about the 70s and 80s. I think that that's subpar too, compared to the romantic flowering of powerful musical expression and the way the music underscored the lyrics and the heartbreak of the singer on top of it. You don't top that. But Taylor Swift is tapping into a, a generation or two after us, uh, it, our daughters and their generation. And look, love has gotten cheaper and smaller and pettier. I, I, I mean, that's then, reality. Just... And I think Taylor Swift is an expression of that. She's speaking to her age. Now, do I think her lyrics are, you know, do they lift my soul? Do they make me want to, you know, run along? No, they don't. But I, I'm not the demo. I'm not her audience. But she is speaking to love lost. And that is a that is a consistent theme that runs through all of America's popular music, either love celebrated or love lost. Now, the problem is she just she's in a grievance machine. It's just unhappy, unhappy. I'm 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 upset and I can't stand you. Now, that to me is not the most interesting musical place to be. But if that's where people want to be and they want to go pay thousands and thousands of dollars to see her in an arena on click track, have at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting. You really tapped into something really interesting there, Raymond. And that is the, that the love has got, gotten smaller and cheaper. So when you heard, like, for example, Loretta Lynn or Tammy Wynette, mm. they're talking about marriages falling apart, right? Right. And, 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 and that's not to diminish other relationships. I mean, breakups are hard, you know, but you. you're right. The stakes are different. And so she has gone through a series of of, of boyfriends, but, but we're living in, you know, that, that culture of, you know, uh, you know, sex and, and, and well, what's the word I'm trying to use? No, but there's something else. It's like the selfie culture. It's the, but no, but it's also the, why am I, why am I missing this word? It's, 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 um, hookup culture. Thank yeah. you. She reflects hookup culture, That's correct. which and, as and you I say, mean, listen, Listen to, I would just encourage everybody, whether you love Taylor Swift or you don't like Taylor Swift, uh, educate yourself broadly on the culture of American music, American popular song. Pull The Man That Got Away, Judy Garland's great classic, uh, Harold Arlen wrote. Compare that to Dear John, okay, which is, they're kind of the same song. One is a majestic, beautiful, incredible lyric that you'll never forget. The other is somebody complaining about the guy walking out on it. Um, but they're the same yeah. in tone. They're the same song, but you can't compare them or the vocalist. Taylor Swift also has a range from A to A and a half, you know, A sharp. Whereas, you know, Garland and other people had two octave ranges. So that drama, the pathos that they can, they're capable of, she just can't muster. And it's also very massaged and overworked and run through synthesizers. It's just, you know, it, it is a particular type of music that appeals to this time. But I love I love Taylor Swift in the country days. To be honest, it was I, I thought it was a lot sweeter, a lot nicer. Mm -hmm. I will say her shows, which are wildly, wildly profitable. On oh, yeah. The people I know who have gone, they've gone over and over again because they say just from a performance point of view that she puts on an amazing show. Yeah, she's um, a that, Yeah, yeah. No question about it. All right. So we're going to move. We're gonna we're gonna allow you to scathe by the Swifty attacks that that was scathing that, uh, that 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 Mark Hemingway was, was much more brave in in, in doing f for the sake of he you was know a he's harder on the Pope than Taylor Swift. He, he's more afraid. He's more afraid of the Swifties than he I'm is. I'm not afraid of anybody. I, I just oh, I, 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 I put this in the musical context and look. 
She'll never compare vocally. I mean, it, it, to any of the people we've been talking about. I mean, you know, I listen to Frank Sinatra every day. The wee small hours of the morning and all the way. You want to talk heartache? Listen to that. It is real heartache. It's authentic yeah. heartache. And I think no matter who you are, no matter what age, it pierces your heart and you can't escape. It. And you're like, my gosh, what is this guy going through? Ditto for Garland. I, or, you know, you, you, or Ella Fitzgerald, you're right. You missed Elvis Presley. I'm sorry, Elvis Presley is amazing as well. Well, you mentioned Tammy Wynette. I would also throw Amy Winehouse in. I mean, you, you, yeah. even Amy had that cry. I mean, you, you can't compare that to vocally what Taylor Swift's doing. You just can't. It's Agreed. just not the same. You are an old soul. Old yeah. music, old soul, Raymond Arroyo. But let's <laughs> let's move on to the book. Okay, we're going to give you a little, we'll, we'll give you somewhat of a pass on Taylor Swift. Oh, gosh. Um, you, you, you have your series. It's the Turnabout series, um, which, again, I, I, I love that you're writing books for young readers and for families to talk about. As Rachel mentioned earlier in the podcast, you wrote about Thomas Edison. You have a new book coming out about Tad Lincoln uh, and his story, right? So it's the, it's the magnificent, uh, magnificent mischief of Tad Lincoln. Tell us about the book and why you wrote it. Well, you know, as you said, this is part of the Turnabout Tales series. And whereas Edison was saved by his mother, thrown out of school mm -hmm. at eight years old, homeschooled by the mother, she nurtured who would the man that would become the greatest inventor of all time. In this case, you have a father who is saved by his son in some ways. Mm -hmm. And it, it when I when I started digging into the story, and I, I stumbled on it, like you, Sean and Rachel, we were in D.C. Every year you see that turkey pardon at the White House. And I mm -hmm. thought to myself, where did this tradition come from? It is connected to Tad Lincoln and his father, Abraham Lincoln. In fact, I would argue it's a living memorial to them and their relationship as father and son. So when what, I found this what story, is the story, what is the story of that? Well, I don't want to blow the whole thing, but okay. Okay. I'll, I'll okay. give you the background. The background is this. Tad Lincoln and Tad and Willie Lincoln were the two youngest sons of Abraham Lincoln. They lived in the White House when their father became president. Willie dies of, of probably scarlet fever in the White mm -hmm. House. Tad is left alone. And he and his father become inseparable. Um, Tad had learning disabilities, a cleft palate. Um, he, he really he cleaved to his parents, particularly his father. But there are writings about Tad Lincoln where the secretary of Lincoln would say, you know, this kid was a hellion. They, they allowed him to run around. He, he, he was a mischief maker. He destroyed everything. And I thought to myself, why would Abraham Lincoln allow that to happen? And as you read deeper into the story, and I read wider sources and went to the, the library in Springfield, I discovered Lincoln needed Tad to be that force of joy. And the reason I call it a magnificent mischief is Abraham Lincoln would often double over in laughter in the hallway of the White House when Tad would demolish something or make some crack or, you know, pull a prank on him. He needed that moment of joy, that reminder that on the far side of the hell and the chaos that he was living through was joy and normalcy and love. And Tad was the only touchstone of that in his life at that period during the dark days of the Civil War. So that's kind of the backdrop of the story. And he teaches his son about mercy and forgiveness, which he extended to soldiers and their families. And Tad teaches his father mm -hmm. the same lesson, which is, I mean, think about it. You all know this more than anybody. Our, we think we teach our children something. In reality, mm -hmm. if you let them be children, if you let them exist and have fun and be the joyful people they were intended to be, they end up grounding us and shaking us from 
the trash and the crap that we think are important every day. What's important is what they're doing. That's the importance of, of, of they being in our lives and we being in theirs. And Abraham Lincoln and Tad Lincoln were no different. It's a great reminder, particularly during the holidays, of the importance. Yeah, you of- know, I, I can personally speak to, you know, not just the spiritual potential of children, but their mm-hmm. potential to instruct us on, right. on, on matters of faith. Um, it happens to me all the time mm-hmm. where I'm brought back um, to what life is really about, to what my faith is really about. After observing something my child is doing or having a conversation with them, mm. um, it truly, it truly is extraordinary. You know, I, the the relationship between Tad and Lincoln is so fascinating, and you're so right. Um, they were so close, Raymond. I don't know if you know this story. Yeah. I talk about it. I give speeches, and, and I've talked about the relationship between um, Tad and 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 Abraham Lincoln in a different wow. context. But this shows you how close they were. So yeah. after the Civil War. Um, uh, or towards the end of it, right. when um, when Richmond finally fell into the hands of the Union, yeah. the North, uh, Abraham Lincoln was going to make a trip yeah. there. And his war secretary said, you should not go. Do yeah. not go. This is way too dangerous. You should not go. Not only did he go against the advice of his war secretary at the time, mm-hmm. but he brought, brought Tad with him. Yes. So 12-year-old Tad was with him. And the story I tell um, Raymond about that trip is that when they got there, um, on the shores there um, were a, a bunch of, of a group of, of, of African-American, you know, black, black people who are now Reed laborers, slaves, yeah. working, working, now free. Mm-hmm. And um, they, and, and very recently free, right? Right. And of course, Abraham Lincoln's a very identifiable person, his height, the hat, you know, the whole deal. And they they immediately see him and they burst into songs um, of of gratitude to to Abraham Lincoln. And he stays there and he listens. You can imagine what Mm -hmm. Tad was thinking of his own father as this group of, 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 of black laborers are now singing to him. And after he listened to them saying, he gave a, a, a short, you know, remarks where he basically said, you know, y- you are all free and it's a sin that you were robbed mm. of your freedom for so long. Yep. Um, he goes on. But uh, but yeah, that he would take his own 12 year old son well, on a very dangerous trip Rachel, into into now last, Richmond. When I when I you know, you only have 15 turn or 19 turns in a picture book. You know this. You've written picture books. Yeah. Um, the last image in the picture book, you know, Orson Welles used to say you can tell a tragedy from a comedy or a light piece, depending on where you draw the curtain. OK, so we decided to end it with Tad Lincoln and his father on their way to Richmond. That's Richmond. Wow. And there they are. There on the they are. Road going to. Richmond. I didn't know that. Turkey. I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know that. I haven't gotten the book yet. I have. By the way, I have the Thomas Edison book. Yeah, I've read it multiple times to my children, my son in particular, really loves it. And that was the other thing. You know, there's so much girl power stuff out there yeah. right now. I love that you highlighted, um, and listen, Thomas Edison is for everybody. He's an American wow. hero. Yeah, um, but but there is something wonderful about this boy, um, this sort of spirit that he has that so many boys have that, you know, people are always trying to control male energy yeah. these days, especially little boy energy. I see <laughs> the only one who can't sit still at the table is my son, um, Patrick. He's seven year old. And, me. and sometimes my other kids will go, mom, control him. And I'm like, no, he's a boy. That's what <laughs> he does. And Thomas Edison was like that. And his mother also 
um, refused to harness him yep. um, in that way and let him be free. And he became what and he was supposed to be. And the Lincolns are the same. I mean, I opened the book. This book is a lot of fun in the particularly the early part. I mean, they're hitching billy goats to dining room chairs and, and racing through the East Room during cocktail parties. <laughs> and Mary Todd Lincoln says, oh, let the boys be boys. They're just having fun. Let them be. Of course, the staff is ripping their hair out. Some of them in historical accounts called Tad a hellion, you know, completely out of control. But to the Lincolns, he was being a boy and he was a joyful expression of what they felt and, and what they hoped would happen on the far side of that war. And, you know, Lincoln, if every now every time I think of Thanksgiving, I'm going to think of Tad and Abraham Lincoln. And I hope everybody who reads this book will. Um, it, Lincoln, I didn't realize Abraham Lincoln was the man who issued the proclamation to make Thanksgiving a national holiday. And he did it the same year that he and his son start this national tradition of pardoning the turkey, which you can read about in the book. But in his proclamation, he says he sees this as a season of forgiveness and mercy and for the sake of peace and unity. And boy, if we ever needed that as a country, it's today. And so I it, encourage everybody also, I, have the, I, I, I do highlights of it in the back of the book, that proclamation. It's worth reading his Thanksgiving proclamation, and how it came out of the lived family experience, which is all of our stories, really. You know, Raymond, we, I don't know, if, was, it, was it last year that you wrote the book on the Three Wise Men, which was, the year before. It was fantastic. Yes. The year before, yeah, it was, I mean, a, a wonderful, mm. but we still read that to the kids as well as we come into the Christmas season. Wonderful book bringing this biblical uh, story uh, mm. to life for young readers. But I, what, to, to Rachel's point and what you're talking about, Thomas Edison and, and Tad Lincoln. Um, we, again, we're, we're bringing in young readers, like we talked about Harry Potter. Um, we're talking about a family conversation. But what is lost today is history, Raymond. Yeah. There's been this shunning of history. No one, we don't want to teach our kids in schools history. And if we do teach them, it's a fake and false history yeah. of this country. And in a small way, your books are maybe bringing history alive again for young readers that might inspire them to go, you know what, I actually like this. I should read more about history and find out really happened, what really happened in this country. Who were some of the great leaders and great thinkers? Um, yeah. And I want to read about their lives. And, and so that's also a really important point for a young reader to get this taste of history and really enjoy it. Well, that's what the whole Turnabout Tales series is about. I wanted to focus on great American lives but young great American lives mm. so kids could see themselves. And, you know, our, our motto for the series Turnabout Tales is challenges faced, decisions made, history turned. And that's mm. what happens in every one of these young, incredible lives, but also in our own lives. And it's important to remind kids obstacles are not the end of your journey. They're the beginning of your destiny and your calling. That's what they are. And in the case of Edison, Tad Lincoln, um, my next Turnabout Tales book, all of these moments of crisis and obstacles are really just challenges that I think God has put in the path, in your path, to orient you, turn you toward your calling. Um, and it's important to remind kids of these historic figures because the lessons there, they never get old. And it's the same challenges we face. Do you talk about young Tad, young Thomas Edison? What was young Raymond like? <laughs> Ooh, a lot, a lot like young Tad and young Edison. Um, <laughs> rambunctious, talking out of turn in school. I still do this stuff. No, nothing has changed. Um, 
I, you know, I, I would, I would finish my work in class and talk to the girl behind me, or I'd start singing in class. All the things I continue to do now. Uh, <laughs> so my parents, thank goodness, they, they obviously disciplined me. They sent me to a very tough uh, school run by the Christian Brothers here in New Orleans. But they learned to channel that, that, you know, fervor and excitement, and move it into a way that would be productive. Um, but they didn't crush my spirit. They never did that. Um, and it's a good lesson to us. Rebecca's very good about that. I know you're the same with your children. You have to let them find their way a little bit. And, um, and I love that both Mrs. Edison as well as the Lincolns did that with their children. And that, too, is an important lesson. And you all, I mean, yes. what you've, the, the way you've loved Valentina and she has loved you is also such a beautiful example of just what the Tad Lincoln book is all about. But, the, but it's also not, the opposite. It's also the opposite of what we're doing to boys. We're, we're, oh, we're yeah. actually medicating boys who have energy and imagination right? in a way that's, that's actually, I mean, I think it's we a national crisis. We have a culture, Raymond, that's pushing these boys down. And I think this is a good yeah. reminder for parents. Yeah. Yes. You, are the, you, you, you are the educator and you are the, the one who's going to rear this little one. If Don't, don't put them in any place that, where they're going to have their spirit crushed. And right. let their spirit run free in your home. Again, well, and you get a little crazy and get a little wild. You want to raise good kids, but don't crush the spirit. And if yeah. you send them to a school where they're trying to do that, get them out. Try to get them somewhere else. Yeah. Because again, without, without Mrs. Edison, uh, what would have happened to Thomas, right? If you didn't have this... This, know, this, I, this woman who allowed him to thrive and grow and be a little boy, you wouldn't have the light bulb, maybe. Right? I don't know. We'd be in the dark yeah. and talking with a bullhorn. That's where, that's where right. we'd be. But <laughs> yeah. um, the thing, but you know, it's to bring this full circle to what Rachel was talking about earlier, Mother Teresa. When I, when I finished this book and read it, I thought, you know, Mother Teresa had a line and she told it to me one day when I was interviewing her. She said, because I was struck by the way we were talking over here. It was the day Princess Diana was coming to visit her house in the Bronx. And we were at the house and walking into the, and Princess Diana's in the house, by the way. Okay. The nun's residence there. And we get out of the car and I was right behind them. And Mother Teresa stops and she crosses the street and she picks up this little baby. This lady was holding. And when she came back across the street, I said, what did you, you know, what, what do you do? Why did you, why did you stop everything and go? embrace this baby. She said, children are a sign that God hasn't abandoned us. And uh, when I read this story, I think uh, whether Abe Lincoln articulated it that way or not, his one remaining child in the house was a sign that God had not abandoned him or the country. And or the country. The memorial that they created together, the White House Turkey Party, I'm going to start crying, is, a, is really a living tradition of that love between the father and the sun that reaches all of us and should reach us. And I think it's an important story for families to encounter and to, and to embrace because it will deepen, it will deepen your Thanksgiving and your holidays and hopefully your humanity a little bit. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Yeah. I love that, Raymond. I, I love it too. The healing that the country needed at that time. Yeah. Um, it's, has so much to do with what was going on even in the, and you know, the, the drama in the family, yeah. the drama in the country. Right. And then rising above to go, let's bring everyone together. This, I, I think it's important that you talk about the forgiveness, yeah. um, that he was an example of in trying to unify the country. Mm. Um, 
fascinating well, story just, for as, kids. As, as we um, think through this conversation, I, I do think it is um, so in, so important, 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 Raymond, that we that we have these stories told that are healthy, mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. they're heartfelt, and you can read them with your family. Yeah, yeah. so many stories well, today I, that we're reading about in in American libraries and school libraries. They're not. And you so, can't no. even read them at, at um, school board, Sean, without right. blushing. So you can sit around. And if you, but, but this does come back to your own family, Raymond. I really do believe that. It's that you can sit around together and you can share a book and a conversation. Yep. And we always talk about how important dinners are together because you do get that conversation. But you also get it from a shared uh, book. And I think you've, gone, you've done a lot. Uh, to bring families closer, and 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 I think that's wonderful. Well, and and, and also, and, I, 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 I was to say, Raymond, it's so important too. Like Sean talked about the dinner table, we talk a lot mm-hmm. about the dinner table, but there is something magical. In fact, I interviewed a woman um, who wrote the Golden Hour, which it was oh, yeah. she, was what she talked about. I, oh, I want to remember her Megan name. Megan Cox Gurdon, uh, a dear friend, of gr- the reviewer you. of yes, the Wall Street Journal. Me. Great book. It's a great book. It talks about what happens to families, mm-hmm. to children's brain development, all of that yeah. from reading aloud. Last night, um, I was, you know, I should have been preparing for my de- post-debate analysis. <laughs> and I was reading to my kids a book um, named Shiloh, um, which I think is a beautiful yep. book as well about a little dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, reading with your family is another lost thing. Sean, you have such beautiful stories about your mom reading to you, uh, the whole family, even. This we sit down in my house, Raymond, and... They had no TV. um, We had no TV, and so someone, whether it was where the red fern grows or if it was um, the the Hobbits, the... the Lord Hobbit, of the Rings, Lord of the, Ra- Lord the, Ring. Lord of the yeah. Rings series. Just we have a number of stories. Like by the way, where the red fern grows, you know, people are getting up and walking out to the kitchen and crying because they don't want to. They didn't want everyone to see yeah. them crying right at the at the end. Uh, it was old, 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 old Yeller. Old Dan die. Old Old Dan dies, and then the land comes yeah. up after. And anyway, beautiful, beautiful stories. But again, a really fond memory of of my family reading together, and I think we want to make sure we keep it alive for today's family. And you're doing such a service because there is such a vacuum for good children's literature. I tried to do my little bit. Yeah. Um, Raymond, you helped me through that process, yeah. and um, and but you are doing it on a much grander scale, and I'm I'm super super proud of you for what you've done. I mean, really, I think it's a service to American families, and Thank I you. hope this this uh, story. Um, I hope people get it. We're coming upon that that season. On that point, Raymond, I guess I don't have a copy yet, as we just as evidenced by the fact that you had to show us yes, the last what? page. So, Raymond, when can we actually get the book? We want to we, yeah. we want to read it. We haven't got a copy yet. Is it Sean out? Sean do you have a Barnes and Noble in your neighborhood? Walk down the street, buy <laughs> a copy. It's out right now. It's available out. But I'm bringing you your own copies, signed. Thank you for that, and inscribed Raymond. to all the Duffies when I'm in New York. And right. I, I look, it's one of the only covers you'll ever see Lincoln laughing. I told my illustrator, I want, <laughs> I want like, because this is historic. They used to say he would double over in neighing laughter whenever Tad was in the room. And I'll give a little spoiler alert. You can mute us for this little thing, but it is the, the, the turkey pardon came after his brother died. Tad befriended this turkey that they brought to the White House. He taught her tricks. He walked it on a leash. They bonded. He even named it after, you know, a, a playmate. Um, Christmas comes. They collect the turkey to naturally make it the centerpiece of the dining room table, dinner. And Tad freaks out. 
He takes the turkey upstairs. He barges into his father's cabinet meeting and he demands that his father pardon the turkey. And Abraham Lincoln- That really happened. Yes. Abraham Lincoln listens to the argument and out of the mercy that Tad had seen him offer to soldiers and the South and, uh, and the country, he pleads on that same mercy to spare his turkey and Lincoln does it. And we still do that tradition today. It's such an incredible, I mean, it is an incredible story. It's an incredible story. story. You know, my mom, Raymond, you know my mom, she's going to love this story because she's really upset because Sean and I ordered a pig to be slaughtered (laughs) for the home. And she would, and my mom's such an animal activist. She loves animals. And um, she's very upset that we, that we, um, that we're doing that. We had a we had a lamb last year and, and lambskin sits in the living room. So my mom's not happy about that. She would like a she would like a tad pardoning for all of our uh all the our animals. Only tofu at the eat. Duffy's table? I don't think so. Yeah. yeah, everyone go out and get this book. What a wonderful way to um, bring in the holidays. They're they're upon us. I'm already seeing yes. Halloween decorations out, so that means Thanksgiving's around the corner. What a beautiful way. Um to bring in the holiday, to truly understand the meaning of it. By the way, great idea to buy two copies, one for you and one for the school that your child's in, because every teacher is looking for a great uh, story to read, one that also has some historical significance. It's based on a true story. and nieces and nephews? Nieces and nephews. You don't have gift. Yeah, it's a wonderful way to do that. And, you know, if you go to RaymondArroyo.com, I'm also, I have some tour dates. I'm going to Nashville and New Orleans and Florida, Orlando, and I'm all over the place. So come and see me. I'll sign your books as well. That's for the book. Can we also tease what you're doing musically? We talked a little Uh bit about about music at the beginning when you were too cowardly to take on the Swifties. But you are... But you are going to take on um, Jose Feliciano. So let's talk about that. What's happening with that? Yeah, well, it's called Christmas Merry and Bright. Uh, It's a new Christmas album. I wanted to do something like this a long time. You all know I've sung on my EWTN show every Christmas with Andy Williams and Johnny Mathis and Jose uh, Aaron Neville. But I never thought of recording anything. And an executive came to me and said, would you do a Christmas album? And I said, no. And then they called me again and said, if we get uh, th- this orchestrator, Kevin Koska, who did The Greatest Showman and and uh, mm-hmm. Jungle Book and all these incredible things, uh, would you do it then? I said, OK. So I went back into vocal training. I really haven't sung professionally in 25 years, but uh, went back into vocal training. We had 20 piece orchestra. Jose Feliciano does a new version of Feliz Navidad. It's at RaymondArroyoChristmas.com. But as the season draws upon us, I'll come back and we'll talk about that and show some can, Raymond, Raymond, can you really quick just tell us, when were you singing? What was this all, all the singing 25 years ago? In the past? A, well, lot, of, a lot of people don't know about that. I was doing musicals. I was trained as an actor in New York, uh, worked in London. Uh, I, I toured with musicals. I did Fiddler on the Roof. I did all kinds of stuff. Um, so I did sing in my in my earlier life. And it's very natural to me. It's not like, you know, it was not, I, I really felt at home with the orchestra. It was, it was uh, an education because these guys have been playing for 30 and 40 years together. So you just kind of get on the surfboard and ride their wave, okay? But it was, um, it was incredible. And I love Christmas music. I love- Me too. So um, I hope people will enjoy it. Raymond Royal, you are an onion. 
We just keep peeling layers. Oh, there's another layer underneath it, and it's like we just know. We don't know. I what thought we're you find were saying in the history of the more you peel, the smellier it gets. But okay, I'll take you. <laughs> no. Thank I you. just find out new things. You can't. You can't. You can't. Whenever you peel one layer, there's going to be another ring or royal layer underneath it. I didn't know you sang. And the next I time you that. come, we're going to have to get you to uh, talk about what you think about Mariah Carey's <laughs> "All I Want for Christmas" song. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> yeah, no, I love her album. I'm all about that. I'm, I'm and all Taylor about Swift her. Maybe too, but that's why I'll try. I'm not going to criticize her. Well, no. uh, Raymond Arroyo, we appreciate you joining us at the kitchen table. Thank um, you. It is the, the, the title of the book is The Magnificent Mischief of Tad Lincoln. Uh, it just dropped. So get it uh, as you come into this uh, holiday season. Get it as a gift as well. A great read. Bring your family around and one of those magical moments that you share as a family that your kids remember for a long, long time yes. when they're adults as well. So Raymond Royal, I was a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you for being at our kitchen table from your dining room. Thank we you. love you, Raymond. Thanks love for joining you. us today. Thank you, guys. All See right. you soon. Okay. Take care. If you like a podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Uh, you can always find us at foxnewspodcasts.com. Please subscribe. Uh, we drop every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday very soon, going five days a week, which is going to be fun. Yeah, uh, by the end time. of October. A lot more action. It's going to be great. Um, until next time, thanks for joining us. Bye, everybody. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 